But anyway, let's just get on with it. All right. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> it's eating after midnight. Do, 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 and that just goes right into our music. And this is Eating After Midnight, a podcast where me and my best friend Sasha Chambers reheat movies from our childhoods to see if the leftovers have retained their flavor or leave a bad taste in our mouths. It's also about how these movies influenced, inspired, and shaped us. Whether the ideas they cooked up and fed us nourished our bodies and minds or just rotted our teeth and clogged our mental arteries. Sasha and I don't have any real cred as critics, but we do have a genuine love of movies as well as a beautiful friendship that spans 25 years and counting. Thought it was 26. How do we lose a year? <laughs> I just read this because it's old and I couldn't do it in my brain. That's fine. That's fine. That just keeps us from getting older and, and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. And, and what's super exciting today, if from our intro, you didn't figure out what movie we are covering this podcast might not be for you, or you may in fact just be a neo-maxi Zoom dweeby. We'll see. <laughs> Today, we are reviewing the seminal, most problematic classic, The Breakfast Club, 1985, written and directed by John Hughes, the granddaddy, the grandpappy of problematic <laughs> 80s films that we love. I don't know if this is the most problematic of his, but I don't know, is. man. <laughs> no, no, because because later on we will do Pretty in Pink, and there oh, are yeah. things in that that are there's so, so much. Rare. Oh God, that one is is jam packed. This one is is like a jelly donut of problematic. That one's like a. It's the sampler box. It's the sampler yeah. box where this is just one big juicy leaky, problem filled gushy donut of an 80s film. I actually did a little more research than I normally did because because this isn't just about the movie. We're also starting to approach the idea of John Hughes as a director and as a, a major cultural influencer with these movies. Girl, shit, howdy, the fuck, girl. <laughs> the shit that I read about this dude. Um, for, for those of you, for those of you um, listening, which I hope there's many of you, um, <laughs> There is a really good article that I'm going to reference a lot um, during the course of this podcast uh, that was actually came out in 2018 in the New Yorker, an interview with Molly Ringwald and her her experience um, in rewatching this movie decades later with her young, I think, 10 year old daughter and how she was really concerned about exposing her daughter to this because of the sexual content, because of the mature um, subject matter and found that she was more triggered by it than her kid. And 
that's a really that's really sad for me actually to think about this film for Molly Ringwald being something that she has to look back on with so much mixed feelings but that I think is what we're going to come to discover today is that this is really it is it's a jelly donut it's gross and delicious at the same time so this is our actually our year anniversary of podcast making we started last April so that's crazy I can't believe we've been at this for a year year of eating after midnight which is super super exciting and it did um the birth of this podcast did come from talking about breakfast club and and re-watching it together and being like what what ah ouch and it was just really painful and I think one of the things that was crazy way back when we watched it was the recognition of how much of this film had influenced our lives because that's actually the the kind of basis of this podcast is is not only have these films gotten um, better or worse over time but how they influenced us and and shaped us and and fucking shaped us us. yeah and how like our, our our lives maybe some of the choices that we made and some of the views that we had were kind of you know the fabric was created by watching this film I loved Breakfast Club when I was growing up. Oh yeah. You know, I, I loved it because I was a teenager, but I also thought it was such a good film. It was like a movie that actually talked about us. It and is. When I watched it when I was young, I loved every bit and piece of it. I fell in love with certain characters of it. I agreed with 100% of it growing up. Like 100% of it, I was on board with growing up. Now I have very, very mixed feelings about this film. Yeah, because now there is some stuff in it where I'm like, yeah, that's where I learned that bullshit. Exactly. Exactly. That's where that happened in my that's where the synapses in my brain got twisted as fuck. And that led me to making some stupid fucking mistakes. And Uh mind you people, I am not saying I am blaming the Breakfast Club for my bad life choices. That's not what it is. But (sighs) look, we're talking about a time period. We're talking about the time that we grew up in when we were reviewing this movie. Weirdly, Amy and I are kind of plugged into some kind of cultural zeitgeist right now. Every episode we do seems to correlate with something else going on in the world related to the films we're talking to, up to and including an article released about five hours prior to us starting this podcast recording um, discussing this movie as well as the other movie that we will be pairing it with at the end of the month, St. Elmo's Fire, because it's really clear to me that even though these movies came out four months apart from each other, St. Elmo's Fire is somehow the exact same characters, all grown up and equally as fucked up. Now that the kids in Breakfast Club are fucked up is not something that I am mad at or have any issue with at all. And this article that was written today, I feel like was written by some angry ass fucking boomer that may or may not have stormed the Capitol. Like the shit that they said about this movie, the oh, way yeah. they talked about the character, what the actual fuck is wrong with this person? Did they need a hug. not agree with it. I'm so glad that we're on the same page because I, I just felt like it was kind of being a naysayer just to be a naysayer. It was like, this movie was great way back when, but that's really bullshit because this whole movie is terrible and it's a movie about terrible, terrible kids who like and- blame everyone for their poor Ooh. fucking choices. Like- what the fuck? 
Hey, man. FYI, can I, you are influenced by your parents. Your parents actually do shape who you are. So if yeah. your parents abuse you, that is going to come out in your behavior. And we were watching as accurate a picture of the teen experience as had ever been depicted on screen. Something that uh, Ms. Ringwald pointed out in her article that I was like, damn, Skippy, that's so, that's so true. I mean, prior to this, the majority of teen movies were crass, base humor, like Porky's and, and Lamp, you know what I mean? Like just really, really lowbrow fucking humor with the exception of Fast Times, right? Directed by a woman. That's, but even there, there's, you know, there's the whole Phoebe Cates topless thing. There's a lot of stuff going on in that that still panders to base teen boy humor, but nothing that was genuine, honest depiction of what the teen experience is, what that feeling of alienation is, that feeling of wanting to belong, and the struggle of having to reconcile. As Andrew Clark puts it, well, everyone's home life is dissatisfying. And if it wasn't, people would live with their parents forever. There is a point in every, I think, just about teenager's life where they realize that their parents are fucked and that they need to get the fuck out of the house as fast as possible because they don't fit there anymore. And if they don't fit there and they don't fit in at school, where the fuck do they fit? And also we do have to note that this is a movie about Gen X kids and Gen X right. kids are the latchkey kids. We right. Are kids that our parents either didn't want or accidentally had or they had but they didn't really want to deal with us like or didn't have the emotional maturity to deal with us like right they they had us because we were part of the family program the the this is what this is the trajectory of life that's what you do you get married you have kids and and this is not me blaming my parents like me and my mother conversation before and she's like yeah she's like you know it was the me generation like we knew we were supposed to have kids but we also just didn't know what the fuck to do with them once they were here and this is like generational theory right like gen x kids were you know this is how you classify them is the generation where their parents weren't all in love with them you know this isn't the generation of uh look who's talking okay this is the generation of the exorcist okay the two (laughs) different things yeah um, and these are the teenagers of that. So, so I almost think that the guy who wrote that is a millennial. Either he's a millennial that cannot at all relate to the Gen X experience, or they're an angry boomer, like I said, that just stormed the Capitol and they're mad about their dwindling social security. I'm not here for that fucking article. It was bullshit. It was yeah. absolute bullshit because- well, we should tell everyone what the article, where was it? It was like- Yeah, I've got it. The National Review. Let's talk about what we learned from the Breakfast Club in St. Elmo's Fire. Kyle Smith. Yeah. Get a Coke and a smile, motherfucker. <laughs> So the IMDB on this is five high school students meet in Saturday detention and discover how they have a lot more in common than they thought. I mean, yeah, yeah, that works. That works. It's, it's, it's to the point. It's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. They just, they just missed five high school students meet in Saturday detention and discover how they have a lot more in common than they thought while watching a singular girl be sexually harassed for five (laughs) hours straight. Sexually terrorized. Sexually terrorized. Yeah. Fucking go, terrorized. I'm going, that, I'm going to go to that level. And yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the real big problem in the movie, to be fair. There's a lot of big problems, but that's the biggest one. 
know, when I watched this the first time, I did not even clock that she was being sexually terrorized. And of course not. Because this, yeah. I recognize it now at 40 years old is not because. Since when did you get old. three years younger than me? Don't try it. Huh? 40 years old. Since I'm 40 years old, I'm trying no, it. No, no, no. Okay, the point is what I was trying to say. <laughs> what I was trying to say is I, I didn't, the reason I recognize it now is because I have gone through it. You know, I haven't, it's not like, yeah. oh, now this isn't acceptable. It's like, I've been in these situations that were in this film. We're, we're going to touch on the, on this yeah. point so many times because I had so many feelings and upset watching this um, for so many different reasons on so many different levels. We're going to start though with the fact that like, as soon as it starts, as soon as I hear the I am here for it. I want it. I want it. I'm like, start this shit up, start it up, start it up. I want to be here in the breakfast club on what, what is it on Saturday, March 24th, 1984, five students at Shermer High School report at 7 a.m. for all day detention. And I am there for it all day in all ways to hang out in what has to be the whitest, most suburban fucking high school in the world that there aren't even black kids. In detention. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I knew that this movie was problematic. Not only did we rewatch it a year ago or, or a couple of years ago, but I knew it was because of the Molly Ringwald article and I've heard things about it. Like there have been discussions about this. We are not going to be blowing anyone's mind here. Right. This has been talked about in this. Right. But the second I'm with you, the second I heard the beginning of Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me, I was like, fuck I'm still down like I'm really excited to watch this right now super um, fucking down and I love uh, the entire the entire opening sequence when they're getting dropped off at school is still fucking amazing all of the like the shots around the school the shots of the prom committee Carl is man of the year poontangers carved into like a wooden desk or something and if someone has not started an indie band called poontangers start it up now please that that needs to be poontangers needs to be out in the world a bowling league something you know <laughs> something like get it get it get it going but as they all get dropped off yes it's amazing fucking claire's dead how did that not get edited how did they watch that back and watch him look her up and down like a snack and be like, yeah, that's totally how a dad looks like at his daughter when he drops her off at school. So fucking creepy, dude. Really creepy. I literally don't think that the you know, men yeah. writing this film and editing uh -huh. this film and directing this film even cottoned on to the fact that he is looking at her like a sexual predator. Yeah, there's something else that I read that I think you are spot on accurate with that because from a, from another movie that we're going to watch, I'll go ahead and say it. So it's in, um, in 16 Candles, right? When she loses her underpants. The original line when she's talking to her dad, her dad's supposed to be like, and what happened to your underpants? And Molly Ringwald, exactly. And Molly Ringwald's mom is like, yo motherfucker like what dad would ever ask that question what the f that's so inappropriate and the line eventually gets changed you don't just remember sam you wear the pants in the family but john hughes didn't even he was like i i mean i didn't it was just a joke i didn't mean it that way and her mom had to be like but it's not a joke 
Yeah. It's creepy, my bro. It's creepy. So yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me at all that he was just completely oblivious. Then there's some real on the news shit. Like when um, Anthony Michael Hall, Brian Johnson gets dropped off. Did you notice the license plate EMC squared? There's something really weird about that. Like unless his dad is a scientist, I have a really hard time believing that his mom who kind of doubles in demeanor from Flo from Mel's restaurant is like this super physics nerd genius that is pushing him over the edge with this EMC squared license plate. That's a little bit, that's a little bit much. I'm living for Allison's parents' purple fucking Cadillac. What the fuck? That thing is so beautiful. It's, and it's so beautiful. And mind you, Sasha says purple, but it is like, it's like a lavender. light violet. Yeah, light lavender yeah. color. And it is Adam's family realness gorge. I would sell my perfectly functioning car today <laughs> to gladly pay for repairs on that thing. If it was for sale on my block, I would buy that fucking thing it's in a heartbeat. Beautiful. It is it's, absolutely- it's on, it's, it's really on the same level as the hearse in um, Harold and Maude. It's, I mean, it's that great. It's that great of a vehicle. Then we get Bender's first evidence of death wish as he steps out in front of the car bitch ass bender walking into school all 35 years of himself in a trench coat he's so clearly 35 years old it's so, i mean so, what I mean, the fuck we might as well call it out now too you know the sexual harassment of 19 year old molly ringwald right by John 19 bender. was she 19 no 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 that's what's so extra fucked up about this so it? she had just done 16 candles prior to the breakfast club at the end of her ninth grade year. And then as soon as they finished 16 candles, she rolled into the breakfast club. So she was a tender 15 or 16 max to be going through this. That is the truth. They hired an adult to do the panty scene because they couldn't even approach her about it because she was a minor. Okay, you did your research. So we now- I did, I did. Okay, So, so, and then on the flip side, John Bender slash Judd Nelson is how old? 35. I don't know if that's true, but he looks like he's, 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 he's a grown 20. ass man. Yeah. But he's clearly 10 years plus. So that's just to add. Just an extra layer of fucking creepy exactly. on this whole experience. Yeah. Um, the most believable parental interaction though happens, I think, between Andrew Clark and his jock obsessed dad. That conversation that they had in the car, there was nothing about that rang as like over the top or bullshit to me. Like, yeah, yeah, that's that seems real. I actually find Emilio Estevez's character as possibly one of the most redeemable ones, in spite of the fact that he is basically a future Brock Turner. Um, and like, <laughs> and it, it's, oh, it, he's not, but he has that possibility. But his feel- character in general, like throughout the film and his performance, all except for when he dances, which is my favorite part of the film. Just kidding, it's, it, but it is amazing. Um, he has a very natural performance in this, in my He opinion. does, he does. Some of his he lines though, some of the way that he's written is a little cringy, eye-rolly. There's just some real on the nose expository stuff that just feels like there's just no way that this kid is that self-aware like when he and Allison are going to go and collect the Cokes 
for my favorite scene the lunch scene and she's like so why are you here today right they have the vodka scene where we like establish she's a, she's you know an attention whore what do you drink vodka <laughs> and he's like yeah you know i'm a winner not because i want to be because i've got strength speed it's not it's not anything that that it, that's basically under my control that's about as much influence as i as, as i have over what's happening to me and i'm like that's just <coughs> excuse me, it makes me choke how <laughs> over the top on the nose, self-aware they try to make him seem at that moment. It's just not, it's not happening. The whole film is heavy handed. After you get over the super problematic things about, you know, sexual terrorizing and et cetera, it, it, it does have that quality throughout. But for some reason, those two work the best for me in this film, other than the fact that Anthony Michael Hall is just so perfect oh god is he and precious just a fucking little gem I just, I just love him so much in it but he's anyway. so he i you know on this on this watch i just yeah i really fell in love with him and this character so much more than i ever had his performance is fucking perfect yeah flawless in fact it, it is like can i tell you the moment i fell in love with him is actually in the very beginning when he starts rambling about his shoes. The shoes, we have the same note. We have the exact, of course we have the same note. Yeah, and it was really weird because like my mom doesn't like me to wear other people's shoes. And then, you know, my cousin Kendall, he got high once and then he started like acting really weird, like like craving weird foods. And like, he was kind of like in the twilight zone sometimes, you know? <laughs> oh, my, my, cousin Ke my, my cousin Kendall, he like does a little cute stutter. Like he's really trying to, you know, speak, but he, he's, his brain's going faster than his mouth. And he, and he just wants so badly to be accepted and be part of the breakfast club. And, and I love them for that. I love him for that. This is the truth. When I watched this as a young person, John Bender was my favorite. He made me laugh and I had the hots for him as yep. a young girl. I, yep. I thought he, with his hair and and his clothes like I got know. Johnny Depp in off of oh, him. Oh my I, god, fuck you and my why this is see this is why we're best friends. We share the same brain. What is my note? Wait, wait, wait. No. What is what is my note? Wait. Oh, in the whistling scene when he's got his scarf tied around his head, that's exactly what I say. Uh Johnny Depp, John Bender called and he wants his look back. <laughs> I was all about it. I was absolutely yeah. all about it and our 35 years later he is clearly our least favorite character and my least favorite character. And now do you think, do you think this is because Anthony Michael Hall is the one who's actually next to Molly Ringwald, the closest in age to the peep, to the person that he's actually going to be portraying. So the fact that he was able to summon that depth of emotion and convey it so accurately in the body of someone that age, yeah, is yeah, it, like, like yeah. we're watching like a good kid actor, not an adult play yes. at being a kid. One of the things that saves this film is that all these actors do really well in what they're with what they're given. Like they are really good actors. And I wondered for a second whilst watching this, were they really good actors or is that my perception of them? Like, because I watched this and I'm like, these guys are our masterclass young actors. Like my my notes. So I, you know, cause you know, I'll watch it like two or three times before we record. Cause I either fall asleep or I'm busy doing other fucking shit. My notes are all like three, three word sentences. And then I'll go back in and expand upon an idea. 
because you know I'll, I'll have thought about it and, and know exactly what I what I want to say about a thing. But this really was like watching a very gripping stage drama. I only my eyes were on this on it. I didn't want to look away from it. The acting is incredible. It's shot well. It's shot intimately. It's this can wait. Can we? This is probably the nicest school library of any high school. <laughs> ever who has a fuck who has art like that a giant ass statue in the middle of their library 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 and several floors and all that shit it's a nice ass fucking library i went to el camino high school for a short period of time and it was that nice really well and i mean that's in woodland hills california okay okay so we meet vernon the principal yeah. One of my favorite things that they do to establish what a douche he is, is the foley of his squeaky shoes. <laughs> like you hear him coming by the squeakiness of his shoes. And I just I fucking love that. I do not love how we are then though, immediately peppered and assaulted with fucking homophobic slurs and gay jokes for the next hour and 37 minutes. It's a real fucking downer that that was something that we grew up with, that the, our friends who are LGBTQ had to grow up with the films that they were meant to watch as representative of them being so laden with homophobia. I'm bummed that we grew up thinking that calling someone a homie, a homie, what's with my words today? What's with my mouth? That we grew up um, feeling like using words like, I'm not even gonna use it, yeah, F- they say the F I'm word. not doing it. They use the so F many f bombs. Yeah, and things like like brownie hound. I'm I'm assuming is a is a gay slur. I don't know, but I'm just like this is fucking awful. The film that puts down homosexuals just as a put down for anyone. It's not like they're actually yeah. fun of a homosexual. Yeah. To put you down, they call you a homosexual. That degree. Yeah. That, that and in, and in that, into that point, in that, in that New Yorker article with Molly Ringwald, she talks about a friend of a friend who is a, who is a gay African-American young man who thanked her for the breakfast club because it saved him as a teen. And it really bothered her to the point where she felt the need to reach out to this guy and have him please explain that because there's no black people in the film and there's so much homophobic language in the film. And and his response was the, the lack of diversity didn't bother him. And also I'm gonna say that the lack of diversity didn't bother him because growing up black and different in the eighties you wouldn't expect diversity today that would bother you but then you didn't have any expectation of diversity or representation so you wouldn't feel like you should get to be bothered by that but he felt saved by it because despite the fact that there was all of this homophobic language and lack of diversity, it was a film about young people feeling other and disenfranchised and alien in their own homes. And so for that alone, he felt like he could relate to it and feel like there was a place for him in in those characters in that film. So that's that's what we're talking about with this. It's a fucking jelly donut. It's gross, but it's delicious. If we can get into another part of the soup, I, I think we're probably going to go through like each. Yeah, we're just here. free. We're just fucking we're, freewheeling we're free on this one. We're free yeah, balling. free uh, balling. <laughs> <laughs> but Claire, let's talk about Claire for a second. Okay. My issue with Claire in this film is that they 
they are trying to vilify her in this movie for being a poor little rich girl. Mm-hmm. But Claire, in my opinion, in this film, doesn't do much bad. Like she is not Regina King from Mean Girls. Like she's not cruel. It like the cruelest part that she ever does is when Brian, um, the sweetheart, asks, you know, are we going to be friends on Monday? She says with tears in her eyes, "Do you want to know the truth?" And then she lays down, "Probably not." You know what I mean? And she- and in truth, I don't find that cruel because she's being honest. She's spilling the fucking tea that they all know is real. Yeah, and she calls them out on it. She's yeah. like, okay, like, Ben, are you going to do it? Are you, you know, Andy, or when, when Allison comes to hang out with you, are you going to do it? Like, no, you're not. You're going to fucking be assholes with it. But they call her a bitch. They yell at her. But throughout the whole film, she actually never does anything like disgusting except eat room temperature sushi like other than that her ass is actually really sweet and open for example when bender again is teasing brian for being a virgin and then brian gets really nervous so he he like Mm -hmm. points to her yeah they don't say anything because i don't want her to know but then of course bender twists it and says oh you're you're you know sleeping with claire when Brian says it when he admits he's a virgin she's like she says to him very kindly I don't think there's anything wrong with the boy being a virgin like she makes him yeah. feel okay she's the generous she's the generous one and she does it a in couple that times. yeah and actually too the, there's that point when Bender is ripping a book apart who the fuck does that anyway he's ripping a book apart and she corrects him when he says mole and it's moliere and but she does it in a way where it's like she would perfectly be perfectly willing to talk to him about moliere and educate him about moliere and not in like a weird white savior kind of way she's actually really nice to him at several points throughout the film despite the fact that he is a predatory psychopath taking out every bit of rage he's ever experienced on that poor girl yeah can we can we also we're going to take a moment and talk about our other female character because i have a lot a lot to say about allison so first of all allison comes in in all of her gothy mo glory shuffles to the back of the room and sits with her back to them and then we have another amazing foley moment that totally grosses me out as she sits there eating her fucking fingernails and the sound of it are they what are they talons are they are they the toenails of a 95 year old man why is it so loud as she's fucking chewing through them and then she chews through one she spits one at bender and he says i've seen you before i know you know i've seen you before you know And I have a theory that Allison is actually obsessed with John Bender and stalking him, that she has a massive, huge crush on him. And if you really go back and you just watch the way she relates to John Bender and the way she watches how he's interacting with Claire, she is watching that with real serious intent and when he stabs the knife into the chair when he gets into it with Andrew and she takes the knife she kleptos his knife she kleptos his locker um lock she steals a bunch of his shit and she's really really fascinated with everything that he's doing and every bit of conversation that he has with Claire and I'm certain that later in the film after 
Andrew starts showing her a little bit of attention when she fucks with Claire so hard in the confessional circle. She's doing that to blow up Claire because she is now really jealous of the attention that she is getting from both um, Andrew and John Bender. So much so that when she finally turns her attention to Andrew and they kiss at the end and they, they part ways, what does she do? She kleptos the patch off of his jacket. That bitch is obsessed with John Bender. She has a massive obsession with him. Okay, okay, I think, good theory, good theory. Which is going to be important okay. come yeah. our next film. Think about it. It's going to be important. Come our next yes, film. Yes, yes, yes. It, no, it's a very good theory. It's a very good theory. I will have to say, I like Allison so much, except the point where she terrorizes Claire. And when she when she joins- Oh, it's super Claire. cunty. It's Terrible. really fucked Terrible. up, but I get why but, she did it. Well, I mean, are, are you saying the theory? Because I don't get why she does it. That's why she does it. In my well, opinion, that theory. is why. That's the only okay. that's the only logical reason for her to do okay. it. Otherwise, it's just cruel for the sake of being cruel, and I don't think she is. I think it's written by a man. That's um, where I think it is. It's outside of her character. So, I mean, I like Allie a lot because I think that in in truth, I looked more like her than I did Molly Ringwald, but can we talk about Molly Ringwald's gloves? Gloves. <laughs> God damn it, you and I. Seriously, I was just going to, that's the next note that I have is like, if we don't talk about these gloves, my head will explode. Oh, okay. Fuck. Well, Molly, I mean, just fashion wise, I think they all look great. You know, John Bender's whole look, I'm pretty sure hit the spring runway of Yoji Yamamoto's collection about five years later, to be honest. Like there's a lot happening there. Claire's outfit is all that was good about the 80s. She just looks fucking amazing. Yeah. Molly Ringwald. Her nails, the way her nails are done, like- Oh like God, I thought, I thought that so many times. I was like, fuck, her manicure is so on point. It's it really beautiful. is so good. As soon as that door closes, it's, you know, let's let's get the prom queen impregnated. Um, yeah. Just ignore him. Oh, He's yeah. trying to get a ride out of these sweets. You couldn't ignore me if you tried. And oh, it just, yeah. and then the hot beef injection, which I've always felt was just like one of the grossest things oh, ever. Just... That line, Slipper, the hot beef injection is super nasty. His abuse of her is... It's basically just the whole fucking film. It's fucking relentless. It's fucking relentless. Yeah. And, and it's, and what's most problematic about this relentless abuse of her is that despite the fact that he terrorizes her throughout the entire movie, calls her a bitch, um, apparently inappropriately touches her by, by either putting his hands or his entire face into her lap underneath her skirt, because that's, that's the impression we're supposed to get right with that panty fucking thing. Um, despite all of this, he still gets the girl. Yes, and did you and this realize is, yeah, and that at the end, it's when he really gets into her and actually makes her cry. Yeah, I mean, it is just, it is as textbook toxic abuser as it fucking gets. And at this point, point in this the second one, when he's like leaning over the table and he's like, you ever been felt up before? Over the bra, under the no bra, over the panties, Calvin's in a ball, you know, all of that shit, that whole part, that's the part that triggers um, the, the actual fucking fight between him and Andy. But in that part, I'm watching this and I'm like, I'm so fucking angry. I'm so angry at the time that we grew up and I'm so angry that this idea that men are there 
to show women their sexuality and explain to them what they want, that this, as Molly Ringwald put it, puts it in the, in the article, um, that female subjugation is so systemic that, and that this being like really a prime example of, of that cultural reinforcement of that idea, that I watching this movie over and over again as a young girl, as a preteen, as a teenager, that I was still in that moment attracted to John Bender makes me so upset that it's taken me this many years to be able to watch it through the lens of adulthood and to be to be able to see how toxic, abusive, and fucked up that was, and how we know well that that's not the only time we were exposed to this concept. Here, here, that crammed down our fucking throat. Particularly was uncomfortable to watch. Right. Yeah. Like when I was watching it today, I felt. I, I mean, I almost had to look away, and I I didn't sense it when I was younger. I was just yeah. becoming indoctrinated, and that's. You're absolutely right. It's like sickening. I will, can I extend this? I actually don't think that um, Claire slash Molly Ringwald, you know, in, in, to a degree, I feel like it's one and the same because of her age. I don't think it's just Bender who is terrorizing her through the film. I think the whole thing, like this whole movie in ways terrorizes her. It's like a horror film for her because it's me too. The movie, it's fucking horrifying. Yeah, scene where um, I get when they're in the confessional circle, right? Um, And she, they're they're basically asking her. It's when it's when um, Ali Sheedy starts into her, the other female who should be the one who maybe is is helping her out here but according to your theory she had alternative ulterior motives according mm-hmm. to my theory they just wrote her fucking badly mm. but like they all are like asking her if she's a virgin and all you hear is her i know brain. answer yeah Listen, answer the question, question. Claire, just answer, answer the, the question. question it's not answer that big question. a deal yeah it's a horror film it's an yeah. actual horror film moment for her character and also can i add and this maybe will be my last point about this because we could literally talk over talk about this and, and we don't want to do that to everyone because everyone gets it. But like, as opposed to everyone else who has real problems, I feel like this movie casts it that she doesn't really have real problems, that her situation yeah. isn't quite as bad as everyone else's problems. You know, there is that, don't you compare yourself to me because like, what's her problem? Like poor little rich girl, she gets diamond earrings. And I really feel bad about that. It's like, because she is, she is a benefactress of white privilege. Absolutely. I am not saying that. Right. But there's also, she also has a creepy sleazy dad and is a ping pong ball between two dysfunctional, toxic parents. That's not cool. Just because you get diamond earrings doesn't mean you don't have a struggle. The whole film diminishes her. Everyone has like a pretty, like, like deep reason for being at um detention she her reason she was she shopping. ditched yeah she ditched to go shopping and, and and to your point about having written um allison ali Sheedy's character uh poorly for me the moment where i was like written by a man if some bitch tormented me the way allison tormented claire in that moment made up this elaborate, disgusting tale about fucking her therapist just to elicit whether or not I was a virgin out to call me out in front of the boys. 
the last fucking thing I would do would be to give that fucking cunt a makeover. You know, and this is another thing. What the fuck? Okay. There there is a good person. Like, because, okay, now mind you, it's not that. And yeah, I dropped a C-bomb because that's exactly what that chick would be if she did that to you. Yeah. You would not be. And also, actually, that whole, that's another moment that gives me the fucking skeeves when she's like doing the eyeliner and she's like, don't, don't be afraid. And I'm like, yes, be afraid. Pink eye is real. (laughs) <laughs> use other people's eye makeup what are what do why do we keep coming across this you know what can i tell you though that's how i learned how to do mascara dead serious like, oh my god the like touch of the bottom no but 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 and that's another moment of of um redeeming for claire like even in spite of people being fucking awful to her in the next scene what does she do she gives her a makeover now mind you people might get their panties in a twist like oh like she needed to be changed Claire is showing Allie the kindness she knows. She sees, right. looks at Claire. I mean, I mean, Claire looks at Allie and says, oh, you know what? She's really beautiful. I'm going to show her how pretty she is. Just like a drag queen mama, she pulls out the pretty girl. You know, <laughs> that's her gift to her. And she does look better. And she is doing that shit to herself before with the black eyeliner because she is a basket case. She has super problems that makes her want to hide herself. We can take a moment just to, to break from the movie and talk about the person responsible for all of these fucking weird ass choices. Because this is what I was thinking as I'm as I'm watching this and then Molly Ringwald goes on to say it's so perfectly in the article where she was like it was so strange that John Hughes could write with such sensitivity but have such a blind spot to these things so she was so weirded out by that that she went and looked up a bunch and I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead for a moment and do a thing we don't normally do I'm gonna read straight up from this article um because she went and researched some of the work that he had done prior to being a screenwriter and making these films. So she looked up some of his articles from the 70s, from the 80s, and it starts with a dog's tale. Has a boy watching his mother turn into a dog. Against his will features an ugly fat woman who tries to rape a man at gunpoint in front of the man's wife and parents because she can't have sex any other way. Then there's My Penis and My Vagina are quasi-magical realist stories written from the points of view of teenagers who wake up in the morning with different genitalia than they were assigned at birth. The protagonist of My Penis literally forces her boyfriend's mouth open to penetrate him, and the male in My Vagina is gang-raped by his friends once they discover he has one. The latter story ends up with him having to use the money he saved for new skis on getting an abortion. The Hughes Engagement Guide is an illustrated manual on how to protect yourself against women. It gives examples of women bullshitting to not put out and teaches readers how to do a quickie pelvic exam, how to detect signs of future fat, and how to determine if a woman has any ancestors of different races based on what her relatives look like. And there is an accompanying drawing of an Asian person and an African-American person, and it goes on and on. Disgusting. Uh, yeah, it's it's disgusting. It's That's absolutely disgusting. disgusting. So there's the blind spot. This is what this guy was inclined to write about before he took it to the screen. Yeah, I know. I don't. Have I it. know. I don't even know. And so it. our journey into John Hughes begins. So now we can look at every film that we watch from John Hughes, knowing that that is his early work. 
I just don't even know where to go from there. I want to There's talk so about much. other things with this movie. It's a whole other podcast. We're going to okay? need a, like a yeah. bloop, 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 bloop to like break. Palate cleanser. Yeah. Palate cleanser. You're going to need an eating after minute palate cleanser. Let's mm-hmm. talk about lunch. Okay. Like, let's just take a moment to talk about lunch because I can't deal with that. I really can't. I'm really upset with that. Don't you eat that sushi. It's been out all day. You gon' get food poisoning, Molly. Nah, even with wasabi. Your dad packed it. It's probably roofied, baby. The lunch scene is making me scream. Who puts that much lettuce on a sandwich, eats a party bag of chips and cookies, wash it down with hot-ass room temp milk. Ew, ew, ew. Who tosses their lunch meat like a fucking savage, eats a sandwich made of pixie sticks, wonder bread and captain crunch gross 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 Mm -mm. wash your hands please oh the lunch scene is nasty that's all i have to say oh my god (laughs) oh my god that's so good thank you thank you it's exactly what i needed thank you that's all i have As I wrote the notes, I realized, I was like, oh, wait a second. There's a certain rhythm to this. Let me add to the soundtrack. It's disgusting. It's fucking revolting. It's probably the worst worst food scene that's ever existed in um, in a film. Next to that nasty (laughs) shit in Joysticks where he like snorts ketchup or something disgusting. But he's like, they're being gross to be gross. Like, this is just... I think that's the thing. This is the the grossest, accidentally grossest scene. You know what I mean? Like you've there's other movies that they have like food fights or they eat something disgusting. Well, it was meant to be disgusting. This one doesn't even know. It has no self awareness. Just as John Hughes has no self awareness and a blind spot of what a sick fuck he is. Um, God, I'm not going to be able to watch anything else of his. (laughs) Yes, I will. Yes, I will. It's my job. Okay. he clearly has a blind spot when it comes to this. Well, I mean, this is no, I mean, like with what we just read from this article, like this is going to be kind of like listening to Michael Jackson music after having watched the Neverland documentary horror show where you're like, oh my God, all your lyrics just land differently now. They really do. And that's unfortunate, but again, it's a jelly donut. Yeah, it's a jelly donut. It's, It's thriller right it's thriller um (laughs) so why don't we move to to brian because i think we're gonna i do have some stuff to say about him we've already talked about how what a brilliant performance that anthony michael hall brings to this role but can i tell you and can i ask you first can i tell you that when he does have his monologue right in the in the crises confessional circle that they have mm-hmm. in the film. I actually got quite upset. 
to the oh, point yeah. I, of, of tears, which Absolutely. never happened when I was younger. I mean, it was bothered, like, you know, I was bothered when I was younger by it, you know, I mean, I was affected by it. Mm-hmm. But now I was affected so much deeper um, because it, it was a true situation that young people like him would go through. Like, oh my God. And that's that, that article that so I sent upsetting. you this morning about that guy, that fucking angry piece of shit oh. who talked where I was like, you had, you got to be, and you almost killed yourself. Yeah. Maybe you should just kill yourself for being a fucking control freak. Dude, oh. what the fuck? I wanted to be that. I, uh, that, that, that guy, guy really needs, that guy. That guy I'm glad really, you mentioned really some his help. name because, because when Anthony Michael Hall like delivers that speech and again the way he delivers it he he like doesn't actually say the words i tried to kill myself he yeah. doesn't he does it in like like these bits and pieces i tried i the I, broken justification that randall that, that went through his mind i pulled the fucking trunk the fucking light was supposed to go on yeah. and, didn't, and i tried and i can't have an and it, and it, it, was, it was heartbreaking to me it was heartbreaking that um you know any young person would feel that way and it was yeah. really hard and like as as someone who was kind of a type a academic for a lot of my um you know young academic career i can relate to that level of pressure and being expected to like deliver and being really upset really yeah. really upset if you didn't i mean I, I of course i didn't have parents that would like berate me if i didn't get the grades that I was supposed to, but there was, you know, when you have certain expectations placed on you and you're expected to deliver at a certain level and you don't, and that's what your life is. I mean, fuck. I knew kids who were fucking really making them sick, making themselves sick. Oh yeah. yeah. Over, over, including you, including you in high school over trying to like achieve, achieve, achieve. And like, that's, yeah. that's a very real experience for a kid. So the guy who wrote that article, bro, I hope you stumble across this podcast. So you can hear what a fucking Neo Maxi Zundweeby prick we think you are. <laughs> that's the truth. And, and Anthony Michael Hall brings it, absolutely brings it. It was heartbreaking. I won't even uh, put it to the side that, you know, I'm raising a, a young boy and it's like, it made me very scared. You know I mean? It was just a horrible feeling and, and I was really tearful about it. So I think, I think we can, we can move over to Bender a little bit now. Oh, because here's my opinion of Bender. I mean, clearly what we've said throughout the thing, he is the main written by a man antagonist of not only Claire um, in such a disgusting, horrific way, but also of everyone really. He, he doesn't mm-hmm. shut the fuck up. I mean, that's the one thing about him. The only does one he doesn't antagonize up. is Allison. <laughs> she doesn't speak, sir. He never goes for her. He never goes for well, her. Well, he does he does slightly and she like but she doesn't respond. I mean she when? does well he the first line to her is um be careful. Oh, you're gonna keep you're gonna be yeah, you're gonna yeah, but on us on a scale of bender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty Christmas card on a scale no, no. of bender. I, yeah, absolutely. But one of the things is is that she doesn't respond. Everyone else responds to it. She doesn't respond to it. I mean, he's trying. The hard thing with him is that everything that people kind of truth say to him, um, you know, the truth bombs that that the 
vice principal that Vernon says to him about, you know, look at where this guy's going to end up in five years. I mean, it's terrible, but they're true. You know, hey, you should spend less time trying to impress the people around you and more time thinking about yourself. Like people drop these truth bombs to him the whole time. He doesn't listen. He doesn't shut up. Oh, I get a different impression altogether. Actually, I can see on his face that they actually land, especially that whole horrible diatribe from Andrew Clark when he's like, you don't count. You could disappear and no one would ever fucking know the difference. That shit does not not land with him. But that's what I'm saying. He is trying to get that rise out of people. It's a very difficult thing for someone watching it. He is terrible, but we know um, in this world that if you are abused, you to get control you take that abuse and you put it on other people what's that what's that cliched line that people use all the time hurt people hurt people um yeah and and this is the story that he is telling throughout it so it's, it's a really like mixed feelings one because it's not redeemable like in my opinion after watching this movie what he does is is so extreme that it's not like oh but he was abused so we forgive him and then yeah that he that he sacrifices himself and gets caught to spare all of them does not undo the over an hour worth of abuse that he slings at everyone and incidentally in this article molly ringwald also does go on to mention that of all the characters john hughes is most like he's most like bender that at the slightest offense or the slightest um you know uh rebuff of his opinions or his advances or attentions that's exactly how he would respond i'll tell you one of the strongest scenes in this movie is the scene where he does life at bender's house and he does that monologue about you know go make me a chicken pot pie no dad what about you fuck you no dad what about you fuck you it's still probably one of the most powerful scenes in the movie. But I have to say that one didn't have that effect on me. The one that did though, the one that almost could have brought me to the point of I could forgive this kid is that horrific scene where he is locked in the fucking closet. Yes, with that's Vernon, that one. Who, un- and this, this is a weird thing with that character, all right? In, in the beginning, when Bender antagonizes him into giving him basically eight more weeks of Saturday detention. And he's like, don't, don't fuck with the bull, Sonny. You'll get the horns. And he does that stupid fucking bull symbol with his hand that's so annoying. And he squeaks off and he goes out into the hallway and the door closes. He gets this like really exhausted and sad look on his face. Like he regretted and wished that he hadn't had to be so hard on those kids which then makes absolutely no fucking sense at all to the remainder of the film and the way that he acts like none of that that humanity of him never comes back around again and is in fact amplified in that closet scene between him and Bender where this grown ass man threatens a child and tells him that he needs to basically look over his shoulder for the days when he's out of high school because he's going to stalk and knock his dick in the dirt. Yeah, like, literal what line from the, the film. Fuck? And then, and, and then doesn't and look, wait that long. Hit said, me now. Go ahead. Now. Hit You're, me now. Me no one's going to believe you. The only, the only great line of that is, "I make thirty-one thousand dollars a year and I have a home." <laughs> fucking hysterical. That's fucking hysterical. But, talk know, about talk about inflation. <laughs> you're absolutely right I think that's 
that's a powerful scene in the closet. It's just so extreme. It's a little more heavy handed. Um, I'm not saying that it's not, you know, plausible that it doesn't happen. But because this is this is the scene where Judd Nelson as John Bender actually reads as a kid to me. He's so yes. vulnerable and scared and actually horrified by what Vernon is is coming at him with, but he recognizes that he is he's completely at this guy's fucking mercy. And it's really awful. Well, it's and kind of our Chris Chambers moment, isn't it? It's it's Chris totally Chambers yeah. It's absolutely a Chris Chambers moment. Yeah. It's like you know you're supposed to be the adult. You're supposed to be the mm-hmm. one looking for me. Because I mean, I, and that's the the trouble with Bender. <laughs> the trouble with Bender um, is that you know he is horrific. What he does in this film is terrible. The line, the the words that come out of his mouth particularly towards Claire and definitely towards other characters is just, it's why this film is so problematic. And yet they still write his character to a point where you don't forgive him, but you understand him. So I don't know if that's just complicated in a kind of messy way or complicated in a good way that makes you think, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. What's really upsetting for me after this scene is despite the fact that Bender is horrible and disgusting and a sexual predator. Him crawling through the crawl space in the ceiling is never not hot to me. <laughs> Are you joking? I don't know what it is. I don't oh, know what it is. Girl. I don't something, even, something's I don't wrong know. with me. Something's <laughs> wrong with me. Like there's not a single episode where I don't have a problematic crush on one of the cast members. <laughs> something wrong. Sasha, okay. There's nothing wrong with you. In, in the words of Claire to Brian, there's nothing wrong with you. I know, I know, because she is a sweet character. Sweet character. Um, Let's, now we're going to pop the bubble of seriousness again and talk about- Oh, oh, but we did miss, we did miss our quintessential 80s black speak moment. Oh, oh, no, When Bender's in the gym. Yeah, what the fuck? I've got a a term for this. Um, White people talking jive alert. White people talking (laughs) jive alert. White people talking jive alert. Yes. You know, never fails. We won't cast them, but we'll mock them. What the exactly. fuck? Well, no, it, it, it again is a symbol of, um, you know, to be cool is to do it. And it's really problematic in this one. So there are two occasions of, of the mm-hmm. people talking yes. about work. They happen yes. twice, twice. The first time, of course, is what you're, what you're calling out is when, you know- I'm Jeff a trial Wilson, for a scholarship. Yeah, he's playing basketball. And, and this with one key. random shoe. <laughs> but it's key. So. Well, he he does um you know the 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 white people talking jive whilst playing basketball because why black people love basketball and they're good at it and then what's the second occasion when Anthony Michael Hall smoking dope when they're high yeah because black people smoke marijuana yeah it's very problematic in this film it's like funny enough though what Anthony Michael Hall says in his in his white folks speaking jive alert you quoted in our last podcast you made a yeah you made a reference to um shit now i'm gonna fucking space the character's name um homie the fucking the the husband in desperately seeking susan when when he and madonna are smoking weed and he's going on about like the center of the universe and where consciousness begins or whatever and you're like because this fool can't hold his smoke (laughs) yeah because this movie is that deep in our subconscious you'll quote it i say i i quote this shit 
all, all the, time. the fucking time. If someone asks me if something is clear, Crystal is how I respond. Totally. You know? It was so influential and we watched it so many times. I watched it when I was younger, yes. But throughout my high school years, I still went back to it and rewatched it and loved it. And why you're so pissed off about Bender is because we did it. We dated really terrible men. Yep. <laughs> like, we, yeah, yeah. No, we, we accepted. Way. Yeah, we dated terrible yeah. men. We accepted awful things said to us. We looked at, turned a blind eye or made excuses for really inexcusable behavior. Um, also, something that's inexcusable to me is a massive miss or does this library, this high school library in Illinois, have the greatest ventilation system on earth that they could not only smoke cigarettes, but weed and not fucking stink up the whole fucking place? That made no sense to me at all. Yeah, so, so they, they get high. That part is stupid. They have a dance party and it's just so... <laughs> Wait, are you talking, wait, are you talking about Emilio Estevez's crazy, they all was, they, no, not at wait. that part, that's at the end, no, no, no. that's at first, the end. First, only Emilio Estevez dances. Because apparently his joint was dipped in fry, that he got all crazy violent and is doing backflips and roundhouse kicks and fucking jumping up and smashing windows with the sound of his voice. It's so amazing. It's so amazing because it is so ridiculous 80s trash like they just needed to put it in there you know it's like but thank god they did because when they do have when they do have the group dance party is possibly one of the best things that's ever happened when allison does that like full body rock to the floor and falls into what i will call like disappointed child's pose (laughs) just amazing it's amazing it's so great and, and how many times have you done that i've done it at least five times in my life and i dance like claire it's just inspired. And I don't know who wins. I don't know if it's Kevin Bacon in, in Footloose in the lockers area or it's this mm. because I know that you're into that. I think I think that's something that we're going to have to pose to the 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 golden the golden pot. What is what is our what's our awards going to be called? The golden munchie, the golden popcorn. Yeah, what is it? I don't know. I Whatever. Whenever we do our awards. Yeah, yeah, when the ping like the ping pongs, the ping pongs, the pippity pongs, or whatever the fuck, um, the pippity pongs. When we pippity the pippity pings, pings, and everyone. For all of you that think that Amy and I just had a fucking stroke, apparently in Welsh, the way you say microwave is pippity ping. Yeah, the pippity ping. So we're planning an award show, and it's going to be called the Golden Pippity Pings. Anyway, we're going to have to pose that. That's going to have to be a category for okay. our uh, for our awards. So now, what what if anything do you have to say about Andy slash Emilio Estevez slash future Brock Turner possibly? How do you mean? What do I have to say? Just about his character. And he, I mean, I'll tell you, I liked him a lot in the reheat. And I never liked him because I never was into jocks, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, growing up, I was never really into it. And I, it's so, again, is it complicated in a messy way that just doesn't make sense? Or is it complicated in a good way? So he is my nightmare, right? In a lot of ways. Emilio Estevez's Andy character, the, the kind of nice guy myth realized what he does is the worst thing that anyone does you know he basically abuses someone smaller than him weaker than than him him. yeah borders lines on rape like he he tapes someone's ass together 
And I love that they call it buns. He taped his buns together. But it's the most horrific thing that any of them did to get in trouble. And the fact that all he got was detention was like right one second right are you kidding that would have that would today that would dominate the cnn news cycle for like two fucking days that kid's life would be canceled he'd be finished exactly no rob low rebound done and yet so so it's it's disgusting and i and i felt that way and when i heard it again this time i was like oh my god what he did is just beyond like he should be in jail not fucking in detention on a Saturday morning, part of the breakfast club. And yet at the same time, he does bring this self-awareness to it. Um, he talks about his father and, and in his monologue, it does redeem it to the point where he's so fucked up, he doesn't know how to like think for himself that this has happened. And it is that locker room boys club shit that he's inherited from his father. And we know this is true. Like we know that this happens like in our world today. Again, the same thing of the cycle abuse of, you know, abuse that Bender's going through. He's going through it in a different way where these are acceptable things where his father is like, I used to fuck around in school and he felt like he needed to do this to impress his father you find it sympathetic because I think Emilio Estevez brings that to the role. Like you, you do sense that thing, but it is like, I feel like he can go either way. He either is going to become like really sensitive. He's like going to tell his father to fuck off and he's going to end up learning how to play guitar and that can become Bon Iver, or he's going to become Brock Turner. Or he's going to drop his whole jock thing and start studying law and end up being Anthony Michael Hall's roommate. <laughs> in a different <laughs> film in a different time wink wink everyone wink wink tune in next time um no but i do like his character and or wait one. but that character does become a stocky fucking weirdo dude you're so this is i'm telling you that's so the same person brock turner what happens to the emilio estevez character in saint almost fire he starts stalking a chick and get all fucking angry dude it's coming it's, it's coming, coming. I really like his romance with Allie because I think that they did it properly. They have moments where they connect and there's a one moment where they're sitting and he gives her a look where you're like, okay, he, he is attracted to her. And then the makeover, he doesn't say like, oh, you're prettier now. He, he says like, I can see your face. And she goes, yeah, is that a good is, thing or a bad thing? And he says, it's a good thing. I also really love the moment between her and Brian when he's like looking at her yes. shocked and she does that weird thing with her jaw. And then he smiles and she goes, thank you. Oh, it's, it's so really good. sweet. It's, it's really so sweet. Just being girly and romantic and sweet. I think that when they, when those two connect and they find common ground and when she says you know my parents ignore me and he just is quiet about it and just nods and it's just like in the space with her I liked it and then when they kiss at the end and when they end up together it doesn't feel like our other romantic relationship that kind of is like what the fuck just happened and how well, okay. we're gonna we're gonna find out how that all plays out in the sequel, and you know, um, but, but my, my this moment, yeah. it's sweet in my opinion. Exactly, except for the moment where she clearly uses those you know thick ass talons to rip a patch <laughs> off a varsity jacket with Hulk like strength. Oh, bless. what the fuck? <laughs> fuck shit! Don't 
You better call her because she'll do that to your dick. (laughs) I can't believe you went there. Grosser than gross is what you just said. Whatever, whatever you love. But Allie's the last one we talked about and and we've actually kind of talked about, Allison is actually her name in the movie. Um, We've talked about her through other people. But I, I mean, I'll just say this. When she admits that the only reason she's there is because she didn't have anything to do, it's really funny. Yeah, you know, my theory is that she was there because she's stalking Bender. She just wants to be close to him. That's what it's about. I know, but if it was that she just didn't have anything to do today, that's very funny. Yeah, and, and I, I, I can't believe that I haven't mentioned how absolutely skeeved out and disgusted I am by her dandruff picture. Her dandruff <laughs> yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. art. That shit's yeah, disgusting. Yeah. I mean, she's gross. At the she's gross. Point. She's gross. But I, I, there, she is quotable as well. There's something of hers that I have used forever because I am a big purse girl. And I have had people ask me why the fuck I cart around so much stuff. And I have always responded because you never know when you might need to jam. <laughs> you know, for, for somebody like Ali Sheedy, was very pretty and she was in the 80s as like a pretty girl she was you know a, a romantic lead in in movies like she really went there in being gross like with the dandruff and with the eating of the nails and with the eating of the captain crunch and the fucking pixie six like she oh. was and and white bread that had already had that bologna with the bologna on it, it. Ew, like, ew, ew, ew. is that it was like it, it used to have meat in it that's the thing so it must have a little bit of the remnant room temperature meat and, and uh, I, I do. you know one of the questions I yeah have it's a little bit of meat grease a little pimento yeah. loaf greasy nasty on the bread with the sugar i can't exactly oh, there must have it been hurts but it who hurts. made her that sandwich like if her parents ignore her and she's neglected like yeah why did she made herself food. a nasty sandwich that she didn't want to eat that doesn't make any sense <laughs> all right girl Let's see. What other notes do you got? I don't know, man. I think I think we've really kind of like we've hit all of our points. We've really Ooh. hit all the points here. I think if there's anything else we can maybe touch on after everyone's had their confession, I think it's Andy's character says, "God, are we going to become our parents?" And then Allison says, "When you grow up, your heart, your heart dies. dies." Right. Yeah. Which of course we in our next movie we'll see how that happens. My actually to that 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 bit there, my favorite moment of hers in that is um, you know, when you grow up your heart dies and someone says, Well, who cares? And she says, I care. That's a beautiful part. I yeah. like she, that's what's important she, about her character. That's the thing. Yeah. And and she and um Brian have that great part where you know, everyone says we won't be hanging out on Monday and they kind of just say to each other, well, we're better people basically. That, yeah. That. Yeah. That to me. And she says, I don't have any friends. If I had friends, they wouldn't be the type that cared. Yeah, oh, she's fucking wow. cool. She, yeah. Until, except for the one moment. That was uncool as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. That just didn't make sense with their character. Um, We actually then only have one other thing to talk about. What's that? Definitely in the top 10 greatest songs in a movie. Oh my God. Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me. This song is the shit. And I am going to throw it up on my list with We Don't Need Another Hero. Okay. Yeah. The third one that goes up there as well that we're going to talk about later will be Let the River Run from Working Girl. Okay. 
you know, it's funny in this movie, very much like Lost Boys, they use it a lot. <laughs> like they mm-hmm. use like like little snippets, little bits of, of it. it. They're like, brow, brow. and I I ate it. I up. love it. I love it. <laughs> like, I love it. Totally. It, it Lost Boys does not work. Maybe it's because it happens six thousand times. Yeah. This movie where it happens like five times, it's very skillfully done in my opinion. Lost Boys, Joel, another Joel Schumacher film, just like. Um, the movie that we're gonna watch next. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just throwing it telling out. you, I'm telling you, the the parallels, the sequel of the Breakfast Club, is it's intense up to and including. What is the whole reason that they're in this room? They are meant to write an essay of a thousand world words. Who do you think you are, and who ends up penning it for them? Brian, who will later become a writer. In Sam Elmo's Fire, his character. Oh, you're so Stay deep. tuned for the recast sequel. I'm fucking telling you, fucking telling you. It's like I smoked a big fat joint and synced up the Wizard of Oz with the fucking Dark Side of the Moon album and all was revealed between these two movies. Everything clicks and makes sense. It all connects, man. Okay, if you want to hear this theory, you are going to have to tune in next time. It'll be exciting. Mm-hmm. 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 All right. Indeed. On a transatlantic flight, Sasha Chambers, what you gonna watch? I'm gonna watch The Breakfast Club. Don't even bother. Like Liam Neeson can go fuck himself. I'm gonna watch The Breakfast Club. It's not really gonna matter what else is is the selection because even though it's problematic as fuck, it's still a beautiful film that is perfectly time-stamped and will forever be a part of me. It's really, really difficult to write it off. You know, this cannot be cancel cultured. If anything, this film can't be canceled because it, it's important that we're able to refer to it so that we understand what is not okay today. Yeah, I'm with you. Time capsule, yo. We we have to have it to we have to have that for yeah. reference. Otherwise, we don't know how we got here. And this is this is a real this this one's a real clear indication of how we got here how we got to having to, un- not we as, as in you and I, but us as a culture had to get to a place of unlearning using words like the F-bomb as, uh, as an insult, as a general insult, how it became important that we recognize that there's more than white people in the world that we can put in movies, how we got to the place to understand that Toxic masculinity is just that fucking toxic and you can't you can't cram that shit down women's throats. Along anyway. with really fantastic acting, some very funny parts. You know, the thing we didn't talk about and we're not gonna talk about it too much right now is that there are some really funny things in this movie. What did we not talk about? This movie's fucking hilarious. We I we think didn't, we, we didn't mention any of the parts. We didn't really talk about the funniness of the film. I mean, like John Bender, for example, is funny, you know, and that's the hard part. I think, though, he's not as funny as he was, uh, to be fair, because a lot of his funny is the funny meme. Is the meme. Well, that's the thing. It's, yeah, the funny meme of the 80s is hard to be, is hard to, is hard to yuck yuck at. Now, this, this round, the funny is more... Um, the awkwardness of Allison and the blatant honesty, the glaring honesty of Brian. Absolutely. with his stuttering shoes little bit there and you know and when when andrew clark is like no i wear the required uniform yeah tights 
Like those yeah, really yeah. honest moments are the ones that are really funny now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, I'm with you. So it still is a lot of good stuff and I I love it. I think, you know, when it comes down to it, it's still a classic. There weren't no black people in Citizen Kane. Hey, a jelly donut's always gonna be a classic. It's always oh, gonna be in the box. Absolutely. I'm always gonna fucking eat it. <laughs> So thank you all so much for listening to our one year anniversary episode of Eating After Midnight. If you like what you heard, please head over to iTunes or whatever you listen to your podcasts on and leave us a review. And if you'd like to send us a message, you can do so via Instagram at Eating After Midnight Podcast. Lastly, if you like what we do, and we really hope you do, and want to support the cause, we are graciously accepting patrons thank you again and until next time don't be a neo maxi zundweeby use your fridge don't eat room temperature sushi warm milk we want you here with us for the next episode of eating after midnight mm-hmm.